Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you how we've been hearing about the spread of your word in Iran and in other parts of the world too. We've seen the witness of these people being baptized. And we thank you that this morning we've been able to look at your word and we've seen how you spoke to these men all those years ago. And so we pray, Father, that you would speak to us this morning. Amen. Well, for any uh, visitors with us this morning, just to let you know, we're in this series in Acts. We're looking at how the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, was spread around that part of Israel at that time. Now, in our culture, in our society, we expect, don't we, institutions to be assessed by authorities as to whether they're doing a good job in providing the services that they are expected to do so. So this will be familiar to a lot of us. We may well have been within that process as ourselves. Well, if I was to ask you in your mind this morning to write a few lines, maybe three-line summary of the state of the church here in Norwich or here in Norfolk or even in England, I wonder what you would write. Do it. Take a couple of seconds. Write a summary in your mind of the state of the church in Norwich, Norfolk, or England. Don't worry, I won't ask you to call it out. But have a go. Well, you might think this is a bit of a strange way to start a sermon. So we better go back to our passage... So if you turn in our passage this morning that we've had read to us, we're going to start unusually at the end. We're going to look at verse 31. Look what verse 31 says. Luke was writing, and he wrote this, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Well, I wondered, is this what your summary was? Did you write, then the church in Norwich throughout Norfolk and England enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in number, living in fear or awe of the Lord. Is this what you wrote? Well, my question for us this morning is this. How did these churches in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria get to this position that Luke could write about? Get to this position of enjoying peace, strengthened, encouraged, growing in number, living in awe of the law. It's rather surprising, isn't it? Because if we go back to uh, some of the earlier chapters of of Acts. For instance, if we go back to chapter 7, we have the account of the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. 
Then in chapter 8, verse 1, we read of a great persecution arising against the church in Jerusalem through the action of a zealous Jewish Pharisee, Saul. And as a result of this persecution, many Christians were put in prison and many left their homes to move to other cities. As they moved, they still preached the word, they carried out miraculous actions, but they also went looking for safety. And then within chapter 8, we read of an angel bringing a verbal message to Philip, and as a result of which an Ethiopian became a follower of Jesus and was baptised. And yet, we read in the beginning of our passage in verse 1 of chapter 9 that Saul was still persecuting the followers of Jesus. So how then could these churches be described in this area as Luke writes in verse 31? Well, we've seen, haven't we, in this history in the last few weeks that the expansion of God's kingdom and and the church was seen through the not expected people or through expected channels, but rather through God's plan and intervention into human history. A couple of weeks ago, we saw this. It was God's plan. He worked through the sending of Philip to the Ethiopian on the road. We saw how God used the scriptures, Isaiah, how God used Philip and the Spirit to challenge that Ethiopian who responded by coming to faith and being baptized and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And within this passage this morning, we see this continuation of God's work and plan for the expansion of his kingdom here on earth. But I think we also see that this expansion depends upon unlikely people and events. Look at the first three verses of our passage in chapter 9. We read that the followers of Jesus were being persecuted by the actions of this man Saul, a zealot of the Jewish faith a man who wanted to do God's will, which he thought meant getting rid of all those who follow Jesus, proclaiming that Jesus was God's son. And so surely Saul is an unlikely character to be the one of the main exponents of the message that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus who died and rose again. And this change for Paul from persecuting those who were preaching that Jesus is God's son to preaching the same message himself is so outrageous that this can only be seen to be an action of God. And it's led to what has been called a Damascus Road experience. Now the word Damascus Road is an English idiom. It means an important point in a person's life where there's been a great change of ideas or belief taking place. And for this to happen, we see that God had to intervene into man's society and man's action. And in this, we see that there were two conditions necessary for God's work to be done. Two conditions necessary. 
Firstly, we see that the necessity for the two people involved, that is Saul here and Ananias, they had to meet with Jesus. We read of Saul's meeting in verses 3 to 5 when he was on that Damascus road. We see Saul's conversion experience. We see that Saul is completely and abruptly changed by God. He is struck down on the road by an extremely bright light and a voice speaks to him personally. Now do note here that the companions of Saul Saul experienced the same light. They heard the same sound, but they weren't able to understand what was said. They were speechless. But they were also helpful because they later helped Saul to his feet and they took him into Damascus. But such was the effect of the bright light that Saul was thrown to the ground. And as he fell, he heard heard this voice speaking to him, addressing him personally by name. Now the implication of this, of course, is that this voice was loud and commanding because Saul responds with a question and in deference calls it Lord. But we see here that Saul is changed by meeting with Jesus. Now, the second person meeting with Jesus was Ananias. Now, Ananias was different because he was already a believer. He was already a follower of Jesus. Yet he too needed to meet with Jesus again. So we read in verse 10 that Jesus met with him in a vision and gave him verbal instructions. For God's work to be done at this time, there needs to be for these people to meet with Jesus. But this was instigated by God and not by them. And so, as we look at our vision here in Trinity this year, it's great we can learn a lesson, I think, from this example of these people being called by Jesus, meeting with Jesus. Now, our mission statement is great. It's good. It matches what Jesus has instructed his followers to do, to go and make disciples of all mankind. But for this to happen, there's a need, surely, for believers and non-believers alike to meet with Jesus. If we come into a relationship with Jesus, if we are to become more like Jesus, if we're to become better disciples of Jesus, this will involve us meeting with Jesus and his Holy Spirit. And like Saul, we will need to submit to him. So to return to Saul in verse 6, we see that he's on the ground. What's he say? Well, he calls out, Who are you, Lord? He doesn't know who the voice belongs to, but he's willing to submit to it, as indicated by the term Lord. So how then can we do this? How can we hear Jesus speaking to us in this culture that we live in of unbelief? Well, we see in this passage that God is powerful God is imaginative. God prepares the people he calls for his work. So we see with Paul that previously, sorry, with Saul, we see that previously he'd received a high quality teaching in Jerusalem from that learned rabbi, Gamaliel, concerning God and his ways. 
Saul was a member of the strictest Jewish religious group. He was a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament text. He knew the law and the Jewish traditions. He was not a person who accepted his religion lightly as only a part of his life. No, he was a zealot and prepared to travel widely to do what he considered was God's work. And it was this man that God had prepared for the task of spreading the good news of Jesus to both Jew and Gentile alike. And so we see here that God is powerful and imaginative. He reveals himself through a bright light, a spoken word, and through a vision. And of course, there are other examples in the Bible when this happens, when God appears through dreams and visions, giving individuals instructions as what is required of them. We can pray that God is preparing those that he is calling, that his Holy Spirit is speaking to both non-believers and believers alike in our day. Now, quite rightly, in our churchmanship, we quite rightly expect that God will speak to us through the Bible, through the written words, through prayer and songs, and what preachers and teachers say. That's correct. Hear me aright. God, we can expect, will speak to us through the Bible. And as we share with others, as we read the Bible one-to-one, as we join small groups where we can share in the meeting with Jesus with others, we can expect to hear the voice of Jesus. But perhaps we do need also to be prepared for the fact that God can act through other means as well, because our God is the creator God. And as we share Jesus with others, we can expect that some will meet with Jesus and have dramatic Damascus Road experiences where their lives are changed radically, turned upside down quickly. Others, of course, will respond slowly and quietly to Jesus and his claims upon their lives through preaching and reading. But increasingly, as we go out into the community where there's not the history of reading the Bible, we must expect that God will act upon their lives through his Holy Spirit. Because we know God still loves all, still wants to meet with all, even if it's in various ways. And so we hear, don't we, when we look at what's happening in other parts of the world, that God appears through dreams and meets with Jesus through people having dreams and visions. And of course, This is something that has been prophesied. We read in Joel 2, verse 28, the prophet writes this, it will come about after that, this, that I will pour out my spirit on all of mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And we see a repeat of this in Acts 2, verse 17 as well. But the important point here is the need for all of us to meet with Jesus. Let's not limit God to how he can meet with those that he calls to become his disciples. Let's learn to hear the small, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit within us. Let's develop times of quiet in our busy days to give times when God can speak to us through his spirit, through prayer 
and Bible study. Because for God's kingdom to expand and his will to be done here on earth today, people need to meet with Jesus on a regular basis. So the first point is this, the need for people to meet with Jesus. But we see here a second need as well. We see the need for obedience. Because not only did Saul and Ananias need to meet with Jesus and hear his words, for God's work to be done in this situation, we read of them being obedient to Jesus and his his instructions, despite their natural fear and shock. Let's try to imagine what it must have been like for Saul on that road. He was knocked down by the light. He heard a voice speaking to him personally. And then when he got up from the ground, it even got even worse because he found he was blind. He couldn't see. It must have been a terrible shock to him. And so what was the result? Well, the result was that he was dependent upon others to lead him to the safety of the city. And yet we read here that he was obedient to the instructions given by the voice of Jesus to go into the city. He was obedient in that he immediately stopped persecuting followers of Jesus and turned to preaching and teaching that Jesus is alive and is the Son of God. Look at verses 10 to 12 again. The same is seen with Ananias. Ananias, the follower of Jesus. He heard Jesus. But we read in verse 13 and 14, unlike Saul, he argues back to God. He'd been given detailed instructions as to where he was to go, who he was to meet. And he was even given notice that the man would be expecting him. But despite all of this, the fear of what Saul had been doing gave Ananias the courage to question God concerning his instructions. Can I suggest that Ananias was a brave man? He questioned God. However, what happened as he questioned God? Well, this led to further instructions being given to him concerning God's work through Saul. So we read in verses 17 to 19 that Ananias relents and is obedient. He goes to the house as instructed. He lays his hands on Saul as instructed. And a miracle is performed. Saul regains his sight. And he prays for the Holy Spirit to fill Saul. And he gives Saul God's message. He completes the task that has been set to him. Now just think about this for a moment. Because all of what will happen to Saul in the future, all the work concerning the founding of the churches, all the letters that we've got in the New Testament from Saul, all these writings depend upon the actions of these two men in this time. Now, of course, at this point in time, they won't know what the results of their actions will have upon the world, upon the church, and God's kingdom. But their obedience is crucial for God's work to be done. Now, of course, us this morning here, us sitting in little old Norwich, we're not Saul, we're not Ananias. 
But there is a point that we can recognize. We don't know what the result will be of our obedience to God's calling upon us. Firstly, to become followers of Jesus by repenting and acknowledging that Jesus is God's son. We don't know what the results will be of us being obedient to the call to go and make disciples of all mankind here in Norwich, in the Jenny Lind, in the community, or at work, or at home. Likewise, of course, if we're not obedient, both personally and as a church, we don't know how this will hinder the opportunities for others to hear the gospel message, the offer that Jesus brings salvation to all. So we have seen then two points from this passage, the need to meet with Jesus and the need to be obedient. But thirdly, the third thing I think we see from this passage, what are the results of these men meeting with Jesus and being obedient? Well, look at verses 20 through to 23. And here we read that as a result of all this, Saul is powerfully preaching and teaching. He is witnessing to the community that Jesus is the Christ that the Jewish people were looking for. And as a result of this, so a lot of the people are very astonished as they listened. Some were confused. Isn't this the same man who'd been persecuting these followers of Jesus? And yet Saul proved to them that this man, Jesus, was God's son who died and rose again. And as a result of this, numbers were added to the church. Numbers of new believers were added. So the result of this was very strong preaching and teaching and numbers added to his followers of Jesus. But there was also a second result of this obedience and meeting with Jesus. There was opposition to the gospel by some of the Jewish people. In fact, some of the people were so opposed to what was going on that they tried to kill Saul. And of course, this is a fact that we recognize, don't we, today, that the truth of the gospel divides people. Some will accept it and become members of God's family. In others, it provokes hostility and danger for those that speak of it. And we've heard something of that from our Iranian friends this morning. It provokes hostility. But it also had another effect, of course, because this opposition led to the need for Saul to leave Jerusalem So inadvertently, the message is spread even further around as he travels to Tarsus. Not only then was the gospel spread further afield, but we read of the churches being strengthened in verse 31. They enjoyed a time of peace and encouragement by the Holy Spirit. They grew in number and the people lived in awe of God. As we seek to do God's will here today, as we look at our vision statement, as we try to work it out in practical ways, let's not be surprised that it causes opposition. If we proclaim the gospel in our community today, there will be opposition from many sources. 
But to return to my opening question as I started, how did these churches get to this position of peace, encouragement, growing in numbers, living in awe of God? Well, surely we've seen here through people meeting with Jesus, through powerful preaching, people listening to his word being taught and preached and being obedient to Jesus' commands, being prepared to suffer persecution and being filled with his Holy Spirit. Well, isn't this our desire as individuals and as the family of Christ here in Norwich? We want to experience peace. We want to be strengthened and encouraged in our relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to see growth in numbers of followers who who live in awe of God. Well, this passage points us to the ways in which we can work for the spread of God's kingdom here in Norwich this year. But we do need to remember that this is God's work. It's God's work. It's not in our strength that we can do it. So this then should lead us naturally to prayer, to get on our hands and knees before our living God. And we can pray the following things, I think, from this passage. We can pray that each one of us will continue to meet with Jesus and hear his voice. We can pray that those that we are praying for will meet with Jesus, whether that being through exposed to the Bible or through sermons or teaching or through more extraordinary ways, through healing, meeting with Jesus. We can pray for our children that they will hear the voice of of the Holy Spirit through the holiday club as well. And we can pray that we will be obedient to his will upon us, both individually and as a church here in our community in 2019. So let's pray. Father, as we look at verse 31 as a summary of this passage, we thank you that the church in that time grew in number, grew in peace, were encouraged by your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that this would be true for us today here in Norwich, that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened, that we would be built up by your Holy Spirit and the words that come from your word, the Bible. Help us, Father, as we seek to go out and spread the good news of you today. Amen.